Hello, I'm Brooke Johnson. Welcome to my father's podcast. For this week's message, or any of the messages in our archive, subscribe for free on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Bethel Christian Fellowship is a church that relies on the support of its community. We consider you a part of that community, and we would love for you to participate in our financial life. You can do that at our website at drcraigjohnson.org. Whether you're new to this space or a regular pod listener, we're glad you're here. We believe that this message will bring you hope, encouragement, and guidance. God bless you. Morning and greetings in the name of the Lord. I just want to welcome you in the name of Jesus. And I want to thank you again for taking of your valuable time. I realize that the time that you give here, you can't get back again. But I can assure you one thing. If you're thirsty and if you're hungry, you're going to get a fresh word today. I don't know about you. I need fresh bread. I want Isaiah 50, verse 4. I need a word in season to him that is weary for my soul. And I know that you've come to the right place right now. So give us a few minutes. Don't just, don't just tune in and then tune out. I want to hold your attention for the next little while because we are in a series on the threshold. And we're going to talk about the minority on the threshold today. Did you know that God virtually never stands with the majority on any matter? He's always with the minority. And we're looking at Caleb, and we're looking at the borderline of crossing into the promised land. And, and we're, we're, we're keeping you with Caleb on the threshold. And, and why are we looking at Caleb? Because Caleb is one of the most unique men in the entire Bible. Uh, he, he, along with Joshua, were two men chosen out of two million who dropped dead in the wilderness over a 38-year period. Caleb was 85 years old old when he finally stepped out of a circularity of 40 years and into his moment of conquest. But I want us to look at some of the traits of Caleb. The Bible says that he was a servant. God considered Caleb his servant. Secondly, he says Caleb had another spirit. There was something so unique about him that God only spared Joshua and Caleb out of the entire generation that died in the wilderness. A hundred funerals a day for 38 years until that unbelieving generation dropped off and God had winnowed down his leaders. Boy, that's, that's, that's 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 a remnant pruning right now. Do you know God is pruning right now? He's winnowing right now. He's threshing his wheat right now. He's shearing the sheep right now. He is winnowing down and pruning back, and he always does it. Whenever Jesus was given a crowd, the first thing he did was offend the crowd because the majority can never be trusted. So he would offend the crowd until it weaned down to a remnant, Because he only and always uses a remnant. Did you know that you don't have a thousand friends? Maybe you think you do. You have a handful of of people who are confidants, who are there for you. Most of the rest of the folk in your life are constituents. They're there for your cause or whatever you're throwing your hat into. Or they're comrades. You just have a common enemy. All through your life, if you wind up with three people, that you would consider confidants. You are extraordinarily blessed. So the whole theme of the Bible is God distrusting the majority, weaning everybody down to a minority, and then blessing the minority. And this is one thing about Caleb you need to see. He was loyal. 
Caleb was loyal. Listen to what the Scripture says in Numbers 13, 30, and 31. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. Notice Caleb in the midst of his loyalty. He was a spy. He took the 860 round trip tour. He saw the giants and the grapes. He saw everything that the ten spies saw, but he and Joshua had another spirit. It was a spirit of loyalty unto the Lord. And when the majority rose up to curse Moses and to stone Moses, Caleb, of all of them, stood up and said, I will still this majority. Shut up. Caleb knew the madness of crowds. He knew the whole majority was wrong. And that God's word was true. And did you know in this time, if you're hearing the voice of Jesus, and remember, we need to be able to hear the heartbeat of the God-man in the manger. This is not a time just to hear his voice. We have to be quiet enough to hear the heartbeat of the God-man in the manger. What's he saying? Because the majority noise-making machine is wrong. Only the minority rules. Now notice this with Caleb. He and Joshua were the minority, but they had the truth, and they were speaking the truth with boldness and confidence, and the majority would not listen. We're going to talk about the fact that we're in a season right now of minority on the threshold. If you're feeling alone, and you're feeling that your life has been pruned down and narrowed down, and that uh, uh, you seem to feel like a cult of one, good news you're a part of the minority on the threshold. Remember a few weeks ago when we talked about the three basic facts that give us the theme of the Bible? Remember we looked at the Melchizedek factor, general revelation. Remember the Bible gives us the starry heavens above and the moral law within, that 100% of anyone that's ever lived, they all see the starry heavens above and the moral law within. And we called that the Melchizedek factor of general revelation. Then we looked at the Abrahamic factor, which was special revelation. That's when God gives us Scripture. So God speaks in conscience and in the created heavens, and then he speaks through special revelation, which we call the Bible. And then third, there was the Sodom factor. <laughs> the evil that's trying to destroy both general revelation and special revelation. And that imagery appears in Genesis 14. Remember, Abraham is in the valley of Shaba. And he has to be very discerning because he meets Melchizedek, a king of righteousness, who is from Canaan. And he meets uh, the king of Sodom, who is also from Canaan. Did you know people can be from the same town and not be of the same spirit? And Abraham had to exercise extraordinary discernment because Melchizedek, he discerned to be a man of God. Now, he was a Canaanite. He was using the Canaanite name for God. Uh, he, 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 he blessed Abraham with bread and wine. And he, Abraham even bowed and received a blessing from him. Abraham discerned that he could trust Melchizedek, the one that carried general revelation, but he rebuked the king of Sodom because that was a representation of evil. Do you know we live in a time where we have to be very discerning? Amen? Very discerning. We got to know the gnat from the gnat's eyebrow. We got to be able to discern the wet from the water. We got to be able to be so 
discerning that we shut off the majority voice and we have a heart only to hear what the minority report is, and that's what Caleb stood for. He rebuked the madness of crowds, and he didn't care if they wanted to kill him, and by the way, they were going to kill him. The text says they rose up to stone him, and the presence of God filled the tent of the tabernacle. God waited until the whole mob was going to kill Caleb. Why? Because he was speaking the truth. He wasn't yelling, wasn't hurting anybody. He was just simply saying, your unbelief is wrong. We're well able to take the land. The giants are breakfast for our table. With God, we're a majority. Let's go up at once. And they said, yeah, how about we butcher you? Now, what did he do wrong? Did he sin morally in some way? No, no, no. He just spoke the truth. We live in an age where if you just speak the truth, your life is taken into your own hands. And cheer up, saints. It's getting worse. But I want you to notice that this, is, this should not surprise you because this is, the, this is the norm in the Bible. The minority always rules. And so in this case, we go back to the Melchizedek factor. And what is that? We found out that God always uses gallimaufries, mixtures. You know what a gallimaufry is? It's a hodgepodge, a collage, a scramble, a stew, a jumble, a mixed bag, a muddle, a mishmash, a montage, a patchwork, and a potpourri. A mixture is a gallimaufry. A gallimaufry is a man, woman, boy, or girl that just doesn't fit in, does not walk according to the majority, is a little offbeat, half a bubble off plum, jerks to the left a little bit. And we looked through the whole Bible and we found out Genesis to Revelation, there's one theme. God uses outsiders to correct and instruct insiders. And, 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 and what it is, is it's God's tactic of derailing a religious spirit. Do you know the greatest <laughs> attack against God's work in the world is not sex? Ooh, sex? Drugs? Ooh, rock and roll? Ooh. I remember seeing a Billy Conley piece where he talked about Christian rock music. He said, for God's sake, let the devil have his music. Don't take the devil's music. It's all he's got. <laughs> and do we make it better? Of course not. We knock it down too. Anyway, I'm stopping now. There, we just pruned two-thirds of the folk that thought they were going to stay an hour, but I'm not going an hour. He's pruning, he's winnowing, he's threshing, he's shearing. And you know what? When in the springtime he shears the little lambs, you know the first thing that happens when you're shorn is you lose your identity in the flock. You don't know where you fit. You ever felt a little bit chilly? There's a draft in here. <laughs> Not quite too sure of who you were. You thought you knew who you were in your 20s, in your 30s. You were absolutely certain. Now you are, you're shorn, honey. It's Jesus. He's removing unnecessary coverings, and he's stripping you down to where you're going to feel the draft. And for the first time, he's going to have to pick you up and warm you with himself. A sheep is never more protected than when in the Savior's arms after shearing. He would make outfits particular for each lamb just to keep you alive. You're never closer to him. He'll put you on his shoulders that's what you've been hungering for. That's what you've been longing for. But it involves a shearing first. Oops. It's in the fine print in Aramaic. Trust me. It's right here in the scroll. Majority rules? Never. 
The Melchizedek factor, again, I'm just reviewing. Outsiders often embody God's best will for his servants. What do we mean? Well, Rahab. Remember Rahab the harlot? Remember Ruth the Moabitess? Remember Naaman the Syrian, the one Syrian that God healed? He was a Gentile. Remember the centurion in the ministry of Jesus? Jesus healed his servant. He was a, he was a Roman Gentile dog. That's what they called him. Wasn't that a lovely thing? You think racism is in our culture? Oh, wake up, baby. Why don't you take a look at the New Testament? That's racist to the core. The Jews hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans hated the Jews. If you walked by and your shadow fell on the Samaritan, oh, Lord God. If the Samaritan shadow fell on the Jew, you were ceremonially unclean. You couldn't do anything holy for the rest of the day. They hated. They were at one another's throats. And how did Jesus handle it? He went right on up to the Gentiles and said to this Roman centurion, this man's faith is greater than I've ever seen in Israel. Wow. Look at this Melchizedek factor. Jesus is always reaching out. Naaman the Syrian, God says, oh, he's one of mine. The centurion, the good Samaritan. Remember that? Samaritans, you were supposed to hate him. Oh, don't eat with him. Don't drink a cup. Don't talk to him. Don't let him near you. Don't go near Samaria. And Jesus breaks every taboo and goes right into Samaria, right up to the Samaritan woman. And they, have, uh, they share a drinking vessel. And all this, oh, God, he breaks every tab. It doesn't violate the scripture, but he breaks every religious spirit. Jesus was crucified because of envy, rooted in a religious spirit. He healed a man born blind on the Sabbath, and they were more concerned that he didn't do it on Monday, but he did it on Shabbat. And Jesus said, you know, you're willing to kill me on the Sabbath, but I can't bring life? Hmm. Think about that. Hmm. Mm -hmm. If your jackass falls in the ditch on the Sabbath, you pull him out, don't you? So why can't I heal a man born and made in the image of God Almighty? My father works on the Sabbath, and I work on the Sabbath. Only a religious spirit would be angry and hold a principle over a person. What is that? Even the damned of the world won't act that way. Only a religious spirit. Hmm. Jesus said, isn't it funny? You're supposed to circumcise your kids every eighth day, and when the eighth day falls on the Sabbath, you still circumcise your, ch your child, don't you? Huh? Is that working on the Sabbath? You idiots. See, our Lord Jesus wasn't general. He was specifically, he was thought. You couldn't win an argument with him. It wasn't nailing jello to a wall. He would crucify you and everything you represented with his smart aleck comments. And he was a smart aleck. You can see the humor all through the Bible. He says to the religious leaders, you know, oh, I'm only here for the sick. I know you don't need a physician because you're fine. Planning my death right now in your head. I wish you could kill him and tear him apart. And he goes, oh, you're okay. You don't need a doctor. He was a smart, he's 30 years old. He is a smart aleck. But the common people heard him gladly because he's siding with the whores and the broken and the marginalized and everybody that nobody pays any attention to. He's spending all this. He's eating with them. He's drinking with them. He's healing them. He's casting their devils out. Oh, they loved him, and they still do. 
but it's the minority. The majority is just put out by him. I don't know about you. I don't like his spirit either. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if we let him in, camel's nose in the tent. If he gets in and we allow him in, he's just going to bring his whole movement in and take over our place. It's like, you know what? The primary spirit right now is called the spirit of Absalom. I don't know if you remember who Absalom was, but Absalom was the son of David who David loved more than any of his children. And Absalom was the one who plotted and strategized to rebel against David, to take David's throne, and to try to take what wasn't his. And you know that spirit Caleb dealt with that was going to stone him, that was going to kill him, that would not obey God? That was an Absalom spirit way back then. It's a rebellion. It's a spirit of rebellion that opposes God's word. And Absalom was gorgeous. The Bible says head to toe he was the most beautiful man that ever walked the earth. Absalom is what the majority thinks a king looks like. He was selfish. He was prideful. His mother was the daughter of a king. His father, David, was a king, so he had royal blood. Best looking of David's children, but the Scripture says that he despised his father, had unforgiven, uh, resentful issues towards David. And by the way, did you know there's always enough truth and error to make it float? Did you know that? David was lax in his parenting. David did sin with Bathsheba. David had sexual issues. David was a lax father. The Bible says at no time did he ever say to his children, what are you doing? What doest thou? (laughs) That's all I've done my whole life. What are you doing? Hey, hey. And when it gets real quiet, you run in. Come on. You know what I'm talking about. But the Bible says as gifted and talented and good-looking and anointed as David was, and as much as he had the heart of God, he was a crappy father and never once went, what y'all doing? And he had 24 children that he never asked, what y'all doing? What about polygamy? It's written in the Bible. Loved one, it's described in the Bible, not prescribed. There's nothing but hell came out of those plural marriages. Nothing but division. You know, you can only have one all and one most, period. Everybody else is secondary. You know that. In your friendships, in your marital relationship, 700 wives, 300 porcupines, Solomon had a lot, that's a lot of pantyhose, and that's a lot of mothers-in-law. And you can still have only one most intimate relationship. Everybody else is secondary. So when you want to see division, when you want to see a home destroyed, go ahead and multiply wives. So, but it's in the Bible. You know, but the, not everything the Bible describes does it prescribe. The Bible prescribes one man, one woman forever, Period and absolute loyalty, period. And nobody expects to pledge their troth, I promise to be loyal 364 days a year. That's not enough. Why did you want the 365? Because you truly believe that this is the most intimate relationship you're ever going to have. Death do you part. Hmm? Now that's what's prescribed. 
what's described in the Bible is all kinds of mayhem and nonsense. And whenever you see it, Deuteronomy 17, when you get kings in the land, never multiply wives, horses, or gold. What did they do? They multiplied wives, horses, and gold. And gee, what happened? Oh, no. Trouble? Trouble? My God, there's trouble in there. Yeah, you put the ingredients of the cake and you wait 45 minutes and you open the door and go, there's a cake in there. Are you that stupid? I hope not. I hope not. Absalom's spirit. I want you to catch this. It defies authority. It gossips against authority. It seeks to bring destruction and division to existing legitimate authority because it aims to seize control of what isn't its. You don't want what isn't yours, beloved, because you can't hold what isn't yours. But the spirit of Absalom, I want you to see, I'm, I'm, I'm wrapping up the majority spirit in our time is a spirit of disloyalty. There are all kinds of traits. I teach on Absalom for five weeks. Look it up. Gossip. Contrary vision. Absalom is charming, best-looking guy, best-looking hunk of flesh in the empire, an ear to discontentment. They always know who's discontented, and they want to bring division, and they have bitter resentment, but they camouflage it as some kind of spiritual concern, and they have a chip on their shoulder, and they distrust authority. They're resentful towards authority. They have hidden strategies, hidden agendas, hidden secrets, and they're loved by all, the majority. I call it the madness of crowds. L l listen, let me, let, me, let me quote just a little. Let this sink in. And it came to pass after this that Absalom prepared him chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. And Absalom rose up early and stood beside the way of the gate. And it was so that when any man that had a controversy came to the king for judgment, then Absalom called unto him and said, Of what city art thou? And he said, Thy servant is one of the tribes of Israel. And Absalom said unto him, See, thy matters are good and right, but there is no man deputed of the king to hear thee. Absalom said, Moreover, Oh, that I were made judge in the land, that every man which hath any suit or cause might come unto me, and I would do him justice. I'll bring you justice. Justice. It says he seduced the hearts of all of Israel. This is a good-looking guy. Hey, what's your name? Judy. Oh, do you have a case with the king? Yeah, he didn't agree with me. He said that I need to get a job and work. <laughs> Absalom goes, oh, I know how wicked David is. Yeah, I know, you know. He's so busy sleeping with Bathsheba and having illegitimate sex with all these women in the empire that he has no time for you. But, but, but if I were president, I'll bring you justice. And you won't have to have a job. We'll pay for you. Absalom reigneth! And you know, the whole majority of the kingdom, he did this and he seduced them all. And David wakes up one day and goes, oh, oh. <laughs> now, <laughs> have you ever had an oh, oh moment where you realize that while you weren't looking, someone's been undermining your marriage, someone's been undermining your ministry, somebody's been strategizing against you, and one day you wake up and the majority has voted you out. Happened to a friend of mine. 
wonderful pastor, moral man, wouldn't spit on the sidewalk. He was so moral. But he woke up one day, and all the folks had cahooted against him, and he was out. Huge church, massive, amazing work. They just threw him out. He had no idea. He didn't see it coming. I saw it coming. He didn't see it coming. I always say, are you looking through your glasses or at your glasses? You're looking through your glasses. I'm looking at your glasses. So I can see you in a way you cannot see yourself. He was looking through his ministry. I was looking at his ministry, and I could see the crows hovering. Now, he'd never sleep with his secretary, but he irritated his leaders. And one day they said, you're out. Just said, bye-bye. And I said, I saw that. <laughs> Loved one, we live in a time where we need razor discernment. You need to know the difference between Melchizedek and the king of Sodom. And if you don't know the difference, you'll be devoured. You'll, you'll join the madness of crowds. You know one of my favorite things about Absalom? He says that he called 50 people to run before him, right? Because he wants to look the part. And then it says there were 200 people following after him that wist not where they were. <laughs> Those are the 200 people that are innocent. They don't know what's going on, and they're just being used as a means to an end. And there's always 200 people. That's the madness of crowds right there. They think they're at a mall opening. And they're following a demon who's opposing legitimate authority. And they're just walking in the crowd. Do you know what you're supporting? <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> the one in the 200. And they're following the chariot of a demon. And someone goes, do you realize that you're following in Absalom's wake? Huh? What are you talking about? It's a lovely day. Oh, everyone's waving. Do you know what crowd you're in, sweetheart? If it's the majority, get out now. Go bury yourself underground for a while. Quiet, get the noise out, listen to the heartbeat of the God-man, and get back in sync with what the heart of God is saying to you. This is a time to be in the minority, not the majority. Spiritually, in any manner, if it's the majority of gossips at work, back off, get out of it. Absalom. It's an Absalom spirit. It'll get on you. It'll get in you. Have you ever noticed Absalom always has secrets? You know, can we talk for a minute because it's just really something important I need to tell you about pastor. Well, maybe I shouldn't. No, I'm released to do it. I'll do it because I want you to pray more accurately for pastor. Okay? So, in fact, before I tell you what I'm going to tell you, let's pray. Heavenly Father, the Lord of truth, we pray right now that you would, you wicked devil from hell, and then Absalom whispers, you know, I know my dad's an ass, but <laughs> I can't do anything because I'm not king. <laughs> I wonder what the answer to that is. Oh, should I go to Hebron and crown myself? W would you support me? Damn right, David and his Bathsheba. Ever since he killed Uriah the Hittite, this kingdom has gone to hell in a handbag. Absalom goes, yeah, and he seduced the whole majority. Everybody. David woke up one day. Now, has God removed the throne from David? No. Did God take his throne, his crown? No. But the people have all decided with a straw vote. You're out and Absalom's in. Oh, my God. Absalom was so happy. And you know what he did? He recruited Ahithophel, David's best friend. Did you know the counselor that knew David's heart more than anyone else and knew all his secrets and where all the bodies were buried was Ahithophel.
And Ahithophel had been pissed at David for years, a low-keeping resentment. Do you know why? Because he was the grandfather of Bathsheba. Uriah the Hittite that he had murdered was his son-in-law, one of David's mighty men and bodyguards, one of the Melchizedek guys, a Hittite that was trusted with the protection of David. And David butchered him. And, and Ahithophel didn't like that. Have you ever had a low-grade boil of resentment against somebody? You haven't said anything. It's all smiles and gravy. <laughs> Let's pray. Let's go to church. Let's worship together. And deep down you're going, you S-O-B, if one chance I have to kill you, I am turn your back on me. <laughs> Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. Watch out for church people. There's no demon-possessed man in a bar going to do that to you. They'll knife you up front. They'll say, hey, look at, that. Look at my little friend. You're going to die. But a Christian will just be vicious, resentful, hold the beach ball down until you stumble. As soon as you stumble, whew, Absalom says, this is my chance, and he brings Ahithophel in because he gets all the press release. The whole kingdom knows Ahithophel is David's best friend and chief counselor. Do you know who Ahithophel is in the Bible? He's the Judas of the Old Testament. Do you remember when Jesus said of Judas, he that ate bread with me has lifted his heel against me? He's quoting David against Ahithophel. Ahithophel is the Judas who betrayed King David. Oh, having a rough day, David. How you doing, brother? Not too well. <laughs> What's the matter? The whole majority's throwing me out. Oh, really? Okay, well, I want you to see what happens when the majority agrees with the spirit of Absalom and everybody thinks it's over. Curtains, it's over. Notice what God does. When the greatest pressure of an Absalom spirit rises, like with Caleb, that's when the power of God is released. That's when the glory of God hits the tabernacle, and that's when David's secret Melchizedek band is raised up. David is at the gate of the city, and he has to leave. Do you know how old he is? He's 60. He's my age. First 50 years of his life, he was a godly man. Then he screws up. Now, at his age, he's on the brink of having to leave his kingdom. And he's standing at the gate. He's standing at the gate. It's over. Ever felt like it's over? You don't feel. You know it's over. I mean, the press is against you. Everybody hates you. Their secrets are out. Everybody's talking your name. Everybody's calling you everything but a child of God. And you know what? There's always enough truth in error to make it float. Anything you say about anyone, there's enough truth in error to make it float. Not, you know, the old corks when you go fishing, right? It's, you know, well, you know her, you need to, well, I can say something about anyone in this room right now. If I want to play Absalom, I could seduce anybody and be charming and use my gift of gab and use a special secret in the name of prayer that would gut them. Gut them. Praise the Lord. And the spirit of Absalom wants to bring disunity because if you can divide, you can conquer. Absalom turned Israel into a bunch of nation states, thousands of them, all fragmented against David's legitimate rule. 
and trying to hold all those bits together under his own personality. And he was good looking, and he was talented, and he was, oh my God, it says his hair alone used to cut it once a year and would weigh it according to the shekel of the temple. This guy was so gorgeous. He'd cut his hair once a year, and it would be hung up. as just People would just come and go, the hair of Absalom, may I touch it? And for a moment, it looked like he ruled. Guess what happens, though? But God. See, nobody factors God in. Have you noticed that in any time of history? No one. Whether it's Belshazzar drinking uh, and getting drunk out of the vessels of the temple, he thinks you can just drink away and sin away and butcher God's people and kill folk, and there's no consequence until God writes on the wall, Mene, Mene, Tekel, you Farsi. You have been weighed in the balances, and you've been found wanting, and today you're going to die. There's a thousand people going, I'm a little disturbed about a hand that just wrote something on the wall. And guess what? All the people at the grog fast couldn't read it. But if a prophet stays where he's supposed to, when he's called, he'll be able to read the handwriting on the wall. Some of you have sometimes been resentful of the closeted life that you have lived and the things that you have not experienced in life. But, oh, beloved, thank you for your loyalty, Caleb, because when you're called in, you're going to be able to read the writing on the wall when no one else can. Clear as a bell. Can't you all read this? <laughs> no. Oh, it's not good. It's not good. <laughs> well, read it in an up-tempo way. You've been weighed in the balance. You've been found wanting. You're going to die tonight. Hey, okay, well, it's a little too salty, but can you, like, slow it down maybe a little bit? Mene. Do it as a Hillsong worship. No legitimate way to say you're dead tonight. You've stayed where you were supposed to, so you're going to be able to read the writing on the wall when you're called in. Why can't I go to the Grog Fest of Babylon? He's mean, Jesus. I had more fun when I was a sinner. Okay, okay, but believe me, you're going to want to be able to read the writing on the wall when nobody else can. That's going to be so delicious, it's going to be worth the wait. You're going to praise your lucky stars that you weren't able to do this and you weren't able to have that when everybody else did. Someone make me preach this thing. All right, now, I'm real quick, and then we're going to end this. Shut up, that Absalom giggle. Did you hear that over there in the corner? That's an Absalom giggle right there. <laughs> what was the hell was that? It was a puppet show over there. <laughs> we can have a puppet show with Absalom. Gretchen, you found your calling. Uh, now, let me move on. Please, please, may I hasten. <laughs> Caleb fought the whole majority, and they were going to kill him. The only thing is, it's the point of them raising their hands to kill him that brought the glory of God that hit the tabernacle. Did you know God waits to the last second to bail you out? Oh, beloved, I've been there, man. I've been in this situation. I've been done, crossed, done, 
train wreck, no way out, but and you're just you're keeling over to have a heart attack. And that's when the glory of God fills the tabernacle. <laughs> and the Lord says, shiny, shiny, and all the mob follows after the glory cloud. Leave Craig there for a moment. We'll kill him later. You know, and then you get <laughs> as soon as <laughs> That lion Samson had had to open its mouth and get this close to his face and says the hand of the Lord came on him. Now, your majesty, I would counsel you to show up sooner for Craigie than you usually do. Remember? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shake the bed, make the bed, and to bed we go. Remember? They're taken into the fire, furnace heated seven times hotter. Everyone dies that's taking them in and they don't smell of smoke, and, 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 and the Messiah shows up walking with them in the fire. Don't worry, he'll show up in the fire. He always does. He shows up in person when you're in the peak of the fire, and he will bring you out, and you will not smell of smoke. You will not smell of what you came out of because of his goodness and his grace. Someone say amen. Now, so at the peak, when we last left our hero David, he's done. Okay, but he's at the gate, and he's taking one last look at, 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 at the city that he loves. And, and all of a sudden, a cluster of sheltering trees begin to emerge. Listen to me. Hold, hold with me for a second. The first sheltering trees of the Carathites and the Pelathites, 2 Samuel 15, 18, says the Carathites and the Pelathites come before him. Do you know who these people are? The Carathites and the Pelathites were his Philistine bodyguard that guarded his bedroom, his family, and his very life because David couldn't trust Israel to guard his bedroom and his family and his life. He could not trust church people. So when he was in Goth, remember the town of Goliath of Goth? When he was there illegitimately serving the king for a while, his testimony and light shone so bright that 600 of these Pelethites and Carathites, one group were his couriers, the other his executioners, his loyal bodyguard, all uncircumcised Philistines. Ew. Uh, David, what about holiness, huh? What happened to sin? How can you let those pagan, heathen, uncircumcised? Because I can't trust church people. That's why the Carathites and the Pelathites are my living bodyguard. And that's why, listen, 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 and do you know who it? What? Wait a minute. Notice his pressure moment revealed his minority friends. Beloved, hold on, hold on. You're about to see revealed the greatest friends of your life, the greatest confidants. You may not have seen them in years. You may not even know they're watching your life, but they're going to show up when you're in need, and they're going to save your assets. And did you know he will only use Melchizedek's? He will only bring a Melchizedek band because he can only trust outsiders for the most effective and holy insiders. Remember last week we talked about the Gibeonites, don't complicate your life, don't. Well, the Gibeonites actually were requisitioned. These are Canaanite pagans, uncircumcised. They were requisitioned to cut the wood for the tabernacle and bring all the water to the tabernacle. And in Ezekiel's vision, in Ezekiel chapter 34, they appear later in the temple serving uncircumcised Gibeonites. 
uh, Lord, we need to talk here, dear. You're really messing things up. Don't have Gentile dogs serve in the most intimate places. Don't let the Pelethites and the Cherethites be David's personal bodyguard. Oh, here they are. Oh, beloved. The Cherethites and Pelethites. And you know who is in charge of them? A wonderful, mighty man of God who fought a lion on a snowy day. A man who killed two Moabite warriors and a big Egyptian warrior. David's most primary mighty man was in charge of David's personal bodyguard through David's ministry and into Solomon's. It was this group, the Carathites and the Pelethites, who made sure Solomon was crowned king and nobody interrupted it. Why would God use a minority group, a Melchizedek band? Because he trusts them. He, he, he can only give the most sacred of his work into the hands of loyal people. I don't care what you believe. Are you loyal or are you disloyal? Absalom is the archetypical image of disloyalty. Absalom looks good, smiles, says the right things, talented, gifted, ability, gift a gab, but he is a devil when you get right down because he's trying to remove legitimate authority. And the mob always loves him. Why? Because he's a man of the flesh, man. He's good looking. Oh, he's a good looking man. My God. Have you ever seen that man? Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. oh Lord Jesus, help me right now. You know what? Press that as deep as you want because... He was beautiful from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. There was no blemish in him, the Bible says. So this guy, everybody's looking at this guy, but his heart. Remember, men look on the outward, but God looks on the heart. Oh, may we be like that. Samuel, the prophet, is in the very house of Jesse looking for a king. And Eliab, the best looking hunk of flesh in David's house, next to his son Absalom. Iliab, this gorgeous man, and even Samuel goes, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. Come on, you know when a man or woman walks in front of you and you're really saying, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. And God says to Samuel, Samuel, men look in the outward. They always do. Women look in the outward. They always do. I look in the heart. No, I've rejected Iliab. He's not it. And Samuel like sobers himself up. I'm so glad he almost screwed up big time, aren't you? All these Bible figures, I go, come on, sin, come on, show you're human. <laughs> Samuel almost missed the Lord. He, he, this guy was so Fabio good looking that he almost didn't hear what the Holy Spirit was going to say. Now, sober up now. You do that too. Watch out. Well, didn't he just want, didn't she just know that in a bag of chips? Maybe, but press a little deeper. <laughs> Look a little deeper at Absalom. Because he was fighting God. Do you know when you oppose legitimate authority, you are opposing God and you are flipping God off because he is the source of all authority. Whether it's a principal, whether it's your teacher, whether it's the mayor, whether whoever it is, when it's legitimate, appointed authority and you defy it, you are defying God. You are flipping God off with both hands. You say, I'm not. I'm just speaking my truth in love. No, actually, you're just viciously spewing hate. Speaking the truth in love. <laughs> okay, now that's what Absalom really sounds like, not that little puppet laugh that came from the side of the room. Are you still with me, Gretchen? Okay, I'm closing. I'm closing. All right. <laughs> 
Loved one, it's pressure that will surface the minority, and the Carathites and the Pelophites were the first of the sheltering trees David is seeing coming to save him. The second tree is Ittai the Gittite. Who's he? 2 Samuel 15, 21 says, Ittai the Gittite. He was a Philistine, again, from Goliath's home city of Goth. And, and David and his friendship transcended national, racial, religious, and historical boundaries because David sought loyalty above and beyond all traits of character. And Ittai, the Gittite, is the guy that's in charge with Benaiah of the 600 bodyguards. And, and Ittai, the Gittite, just came from the Philistine land yesterday. And he, he submits to David. He goes, hi, David. I'm here with all my 600 family and friends. And, and David goes, look, uh, I have nothing to give you, man. I, I'm, I've lost my throne. Uh, Absalom's taken over. I, I really wish I had money or something to give you. All I have is me. And Ittai the Gittite says, wherever you go, to death or life, I will go with you. And I will take my children and my grandchildren an Ittai the Gittite, a Gentile from Goliath's Philistine town, swears utter covenant loyalty to David, and it says he allowed them to go forth and lead the way he gave them, the place of honor given to Ittai the Gittite and the 600 Gittites. These are Gentile dogs, beloved. These are Melchizedek folk. And God is using them as a protection over David's life in his lowest ebb. And take heart. I don't care how low you've fallen. It's going to reveal the true confidants of your life. Hold on. The minority will surround you. It may not be a lot. Now, Absalom's got the crowd, but David's got the diamonds and the emeralds and the rubies and the Ittai, the Gittite. Is there any more, Craig? Why, yes. The third sheltering tree is Hushai the Archite. Who's that? 2 Samuel 15, 32 to 34. Hushai the Archite is another Canaanite, Gentile. But Hushai is the man God is going to use to oppose the counsel of Ahithophel. Ahithophel, remember, he's joined the mob against David. And, 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 and the Bible says Ahithophel's counsel was as the voice of God, whether with David or Absalom. This guy was so gifted, whatever he said was what you should do. And he said, go get David right now. He's scared to death like a, like a wounded animal. Take 12,000 people. Let me go right now. I will get him overnight. And Hushai the archite, David's little spy, worms there into Absalom's favor. And he goes, your majesty, um, Ahithophel's counsel is not good at this time. Uh, you know the king is a man of war from his youth. You know, we should wait a bit. Let's go from Dan to Beersheba and collect a huge army and let's sit on our laurels a bit and wait because this guy's such a good warrior. He's just going to kill everyone like he did Goliath. So let's just not rush right now. And it says, as soon as Ahithophel saw that Absalom took Hushai's counsel, he went home, set his affairs in order, and hung himself. Because he knew we're dead. we're dead, it's over. If he would have done what Ahithophel said, David would have been dead by sundown. But God frustrated the counsel of Ahithophel. Has God ever frustrated your enemy's counsel? <laughs> David's walking barefoot up over the Kidron Valley, the place of refuse, where all the filth of the city and where all the sacrificial temple garbage and blood and refuse went, the very spot where our Lord Jesus would cross on his way to Gethsemane. 
And he's walking up the hill barefoot in utter submission. I'm leaving. God's finished with me. And the scripture says a messenger came right then and said, oh, by the way, Ahithophel is with the rebellion. This is like the worst thing David's ever heard. Your best friend that knows where all the bodies are buried, he's gone over to Absalom. And all David could say was, Lord, frustrate his counsel. Ever had one of those little prayers? Like the prayers like you're throwing out with a parachute out of the plane. No time for the prayer seminar, the black belt in prayer, the PhD in prayer. You just go, help! <laughs> Frustrate his counsel, God! And God goes, I got Hushai the archite, a Melchizedek Gentile, honey, and he is going to go and be your spy behind enemy lines, and he's going to be used as my instrument to frustrate Ahithophel and Absalom. But you know what? When you're in darkness, it still feels dark. God still said, you're going to win, baby. You're going to win. You're going to win. Minority wins this one and everyone. But are you comfortable being in the minority on the threshold? Are you comfortable saying something that just isn't popular, acting in a way that isn't popular, holding a view that isn't popular? Caleb ran right to the roar and up to the stones when they were about to kill him. Well, he's just cheeky. No, 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 no. He's loyal. And he was loyal to God, and he would protect God's honor. And the Pelethites and the Cherethites would protect David's honor. And Ittai the Gittite would protect David's honor. And there's more. Oh, yes, I cannot close without after Hushai the Archite mentioning Makir, the son of Emil from Lodabar. 2 Samuel 17, 27 to 29. Gives out a whole readout of another group. You know, beloved, just when you think God's abandoned you, hold on, hold on. Let me read the text. He went to a place called Mahanaim. This is the place where, where Jacob wound up. And it came to pass when David was come to Mahanaim that Shobi, the son of Nahash, of Rabbah, of the children of Ammon, and Makir, the son of Emil, of Lodabar, and Barzillai, the Gileadite, of Rogalim. They brought beds and basins and earthen vessels and wheat and barley and flour and parched corn and beans and lentils and parched pulse and honey and butter and sheep and cheese of kind for David and for the people that were with him to eat for they said the people is hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. Oh beloved, there's still more Melchizedek folk. There is of course, you well know, Shobi the Ammonite. Remember the Ammonites were what? The enemy of Israel. But David has best friends that flow from Ammon because he loves Gallimaufries. He loves mixture. He loves people with a good heart. Did you know you can live and be raised on the wrong side of the tracks and have the right heart and God will take you every time? You can be wrong about your religious status in the natural, but your heart's right. Jesus will take you. He goes, give him to me. Give her to me. She belongs to me. He belongs to me. And David was wise enough as a man of God to recognize God's people, God's sheep, whatever denomination they were in, whatever racial structure. And Shobi comes. Who's Shobi? Shobi is the Ammonite. He's the son of a guy named Nahash. Earlier in David's ministry, there was an Ammonite king named Nahash, and he loved David. See, I always say, be the Christian where they say, I hate Christianity, but I love you. I hate religion, but I love you. Be that woman. Be that guy. Because David was that guy. Remember we found Hiram of Tyre? The guy who built the Temple of Solomon wasn't a believer. And the 150,000 people that built and brought the materials weren't believers. <gasps> 
I'm never going into the Temple of Solomon. Don't worry, they sinned and God destroyed it, so you never have to. They wouldn't let you in either. You probably would have been struck dead with your Absalom spirit. I'm going into a holy place. Whoa, 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 whoa. Watch out. Remember what you get away with in the outer court, you'll be struck dead for in the Holy of Holies. Oh, loved one, we're coming to a time. Just get the body bags ready. Because God holds his anger. The Bible says, for a long time I have been silent, but now I will break forth like a woman giving birth. That's what he told Isaiah. (laughs) That means crickets, nothing. There is no God. If there's a God, let him strike me dead. And they throw the Bible down and spit on it, you know. So you think you could outrun the infant patience of God in 30 seconds. Okay, wow, what an argument. But there's a point where Bible says in Psalm 2 that he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. And he gets to a point where he goes, okay, wipe them all out. Get your sword, Ezekiel, stick it on your thigh, and anyone that is not mourning over their sin, strike them down. And it's just like, oh, my God, why is he so angry? What's gotten into him? (laughs) He is love, but he's loving justice and just love. There's a balance in God's attributes. Amen. He's righteous patience and patient righteousness. He is a perfect blend of attributes. And he will not always strive long with men. Remember that little thing called the flood? That was, a, that was a reminder. Well, that was just in nursery school. Oh, no, 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 no. It took 120 years to build that boat, and the Bible says there came a day. There came a day. You know the oldest living guy in the Bible, Methuselah? It says when he dies, it'll happen. Boy, wouldn't you like a name like that? <laughs> when you die, Christ will return, and everybody's watching you. Well, Methuselah drops dead, and the first drop of rain falls. Oops, no more time to build boats. I'd like to requisition some wood, Charlie. I, I, I'm seeing some rain. Too late. Too late to dig a cistern. Too late to build an ark. <laughs> Took 120 years, and Noah just gets that one drop. Remember Russell Crowe in that movie? The one drop of water <laughs> hits his eye, and it's like, whoa. <laughs> and you never know what's going to trigger that drop of water. But it's coming. It's coming. And God just says, look, walk with me, obey me, because Everybody gets their comeuppance. No one gets away with anything, including those that have harmed you with an Absalom spirit. They get away with nothing. This life or the next, everyone is held accountable for every word. Jesus put it this way. Every idle word you've ever spoken in your life, you're going to give an account for. Everyone, from womb to tomb. What? Oh, it's an inquisition. And I'm God and I know everything. So we're going to go starting at the beginning when you learn to say, da-da, mama, and we're going to look at every idle, sinful word you've ever said, and I'm going to evaluate it and judge it according to my own standard of nature, and then we're going to see what you're worth, unless it's under the blood. If that didn't scare you straight, if it's under the blood, you're fine. Boy, I want to put everything under the blood. I don't know about you. I'm going to put it under the blood and step on it, make sure it's under, 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 under. Or as Grant, my son, once said, I'm sorry, Dad, they just ran out of blood 40 minutes ago. You're too late. (laughs) Whoops. You're never going to hear that, by the way. Thanks be to God. All right. Moving towards a conclusion. Show me the Ammonite. Who is he? Well, he's the son of Nahash. Now, Nahash died, was a good friend of David. David sent his men to comfort him. And his son, Hanan, took David's men and beat them up and humiliated them. And David was not happy about that. But 
The other brother, Shobi, David liked. So when David's in trouble, another Melchizedek Gentile dog shows up, loyal, faithful. And he says, David, I'm here, and I'm not alone. I'm here with Emil from Lodabar. Who's Emil? Remember Melchizedek? Remember? No, no. Remember uh, Mephibosheth? David had made a covenant with Jonathan in Saul's house, and he said, is there anyone yet alive from Jonathan's house that I could bless? And they said, well, there's a little cripple boy that fell at the age of five, and he's now a crippled, and he's broken, and he's living in Lodabar, the place of no pasture. Uh, you can go get him. And David sends his army, and poor Mephibosheth is trying to run away. He's been told his whole life David's a dog. He's been lied to his whole life that David's the devil. And so here he's trying to get away. <laughs> highly unlikely. And David's army comes and, and he's ready for the blow. And they say, oh, you are going to eat bread at David's table the rest of your life. And we're going to cover your crippled legs under the table. And you are going to be given infinite grace and mercy forever because of the covenant that exists between Jonathan and David. Remember? Well, the guy that took care of Melchizedek, um, Mephibosheth, the whole time he was being raised was Machir, the son of Amiel a man who had a special anointing for taking care of special needs people. I don't know if you've ever met anybody that has a special anointing for taking care of special needs people. It's a, it's a gift. You have it or you don't. You see it. You can't go to school and graduate with it because you can do all the legwork and you don't have the heart for it. But this man whose gift was caring for special needs people comes to David in his moment of need and says, David, I'm going to protect you, honey. You protected Mephibosheth, and I'm going to cover your crippled legs. I'm going to make you a dinner, and I'm going to take care of you, honey. God sent me a Gentile, a non-church person who could be trusted in the surgical room when no one else could be trusted. Can you just take a moment and thank God for the people in your life that are of the Melchizedek band? Can you just think, who, who, who do you have that's a confidant in your life that you know is there for you, that would die before they would betray you, that would die for you in your place? We give you praise, Lord, for being faithful. We give you thanks, Lord, that the majority is always wrong. We give you praise for the minority is always right. We want to be with the remnant, Lord. We want to be with those who are being pruned down. We want to be with... Uh, that handful, uh, that Gideon band, that, that, that small group, God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise his mighty name. And finally it says, Barzali the Gileadite. Who's that? He's the 80-year-old rich billionaire who funded this whole thing, feeding David right now in the wilderness. And he's 80 years old, and he says, I can't taste my food anymore. I can't taste the wine anymore. I can't. I'm good for nothing, but I'm here for you, David. You can use my money. But he does say, oh, by the way, I do have a servant I love here. Would you mind taking him to, with you? And it's something. You never know when there's a billionaire just waiting to step up and pitch your cause and say, look, I, I can't drink or eat anymore, but I'd like to provide for your family, Barzali. These sheltering trees, all of the Melchizedek factor, all raised up in the minority to bless David in his minority season. So we're on the threshold right now, beloved, of the greatest outpouring of God in human history, but you're going to find yourself marching with the minority, standing with the minority, and believing the minority because you've got to shut the majority down.
It's all gaslighting. David is and was and ever will be king. God never took him off. The, yeah, he sinned, he did. But God never anointed Absalom to be king. And you know, you can only bear what the anointing is on your life. He couldn't take the throne and hold it. He could only take it for a short period of time. And then the Bible says he hung in his hair. The, he, his very anointing killed him. Did you know most people's anointing is what kills them? They don't understand it. And they're hung by the very thing that was their specified strength and gift. The Bible says that he was fleeing eventually. I'll give you the good part. Absalom isn't king. He's a counterfeit king, and the Lord will never accept a counterfeit bill. The majority did. Absalom reigneth. Absalom reigneth. Don't you feel like an ass when you realize that you were dead wrong, completely wrong? And David came back, by the way, and he knew the majority had betrayed him. He knew. Now, he wasn't like you. He's not planning, making a black book list of who he's going to hang. But he did draw a line under your name, if not through it. For the rest of his life, he knew who he could trust. And by the way, the Pelthites, Cherethites, they remained his bodyguard. He never switched it up to church people. He lived the rest of his life back on that throne, but he remembered every majority voice that flipped him off and went against God's own plan. But he was kind, and he was gracious, and he let them breathe. It's a difference between David and myself. Thank God for grace, and that Craigie was born in 1959, or there would have been a purge after my return. Well, well, well. I would have been more like Caligula than David. He had a guy that followed him around, a uh, guy's Caligula, that had a book called The Sword and the Dagger. And there were the names of all the people he was just about to kill. And in amusement, he would sit at a dinner and he would go through those two books and look over at you. He had it all planned out. Now, you don't want a ruler like that. That's Absalom. Cross him and you die. Now, are there any other conversations you'd like to have? You know you're in trouble when if you disagree with a human being, they want to kill you. There's a problem. That's an Absalom spirit. So if we can identify it and, and, and unwrap it and see it for what it is, and then you just wait it out because God destroyed Absalom. And the Bible says the, the, the forests of Ephraim killed more of Absalom's men than David's men. God literally made the forces of nature rise up and converge to destroy Absalom and all of his guys. They go running into the forest of Ephraim, falling in 120-foot ditches. And boom, sandrag a poplar. And it says that the donkey that Absalom was on wouldn't even bear his weight. The elements themselves said, we're done with him. And he's running in the forest and his hair gets caught and he's hanging in midair. And Joab comes along with 10 of his uh, uh, bodyguards and goes, well, well, well. <laughs> Go at it, boys. And they tortured him to death. And they buried his body there where no one could ever find it because David was still so in love with that boy, he would have stopped that. Aren't you glad God's sovereign, beloved? So stick with the minority. That's where we are right now. Be encouraged. The Lord is with you. I don't care what pressure you're under. He's surfacing friends you never dreamt were in your corner. And they're all Melchizedek folk. 
Praise the name of the Lord. I want to bless you. Yes, give the Lord some praise. Put your hands together. Even for that Absalom puppet voice in the corner over there. It's a ministry idea. We're just thinking out loud. (laughs) Bless you, and may the Lord visit you. What does all this mean for you? God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And no matter how bad it gets, he's with you. And he will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus said, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. If the whole world walks out, Jesus Christ is walking in. All you need to play to is the applause of heaven, the golf clap of the crucified Messiah. That's all you need to hear. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. You don't need anyone else's approval. You don't need anybody else's praise. You need a golf clap from the nail-scarred Redeemer. That's all. Remember laugh-in? They had one clap at the end. That's what you need to hear at the end of your life because only Jesus knows your heart. Only Jesus knows who you really are, and he adores you. He doesn't just love you. He's in love with you, and he saved David. He will save you. He gave himself and raised up all these odd gallimorphy folk. Aren't you glad he's a God of mixture? Aren't you glad he's using people half a bubble off plum? Because there's hope for you. He can strike a straight blow with a crooked stick all day long. Good news for us. Amen. Well, bless you. We love you. We're praying for you. If you have any prayer requests, send them in, please. We are here for you. And we love and we, we love the Word of God and we love to dig deep into it. Isn't this delicious today? If you can sit under the presence of God and, and, and drink from a fire hose for a little while, you're going to get some goodies here. And I want to pray the Holy Spirit of God. Holy Spirit, please confirm the Word spoken with signs and wonders following after. You promised me when I was a boy that you would confirm the word, Hebrews 2, 4, with signs and wonders and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to your own will. I pray you fulfill your promise to me and that you fulfill these words with life, resurrection, power, deliverance, and confirmation. And everybody said, amen. We love you. We thank God for you. If we feed you, feed us. Amen. I've got to write some checks in the next week. We thank you all for your faithfulness. We thank you all for your consistency. And because of you, we are here. And we just thank God for your faithfulness. And we thank you that you would continue. If, if you are a supporter of this work, this is not a word for you. But maybe, just maybe, the Lord's nudging your heart. And you don't have a church or you don't have anywhere to put your tithe. We will take it at Bethel Christian Fellowship graciously. You go to our PayPal, bang, push a button. Whatever that is. Maybe you have not been giving consistently in in a tithing sense because you just don't trust. Well, you can trust the ground you plant seed in here. It's going to go to paying the overhead here, and that's it. And my Rolls Royce. I need a new clutch in the Rolls. Just kidding. And my two prayer jets need a lot of maintenance, and I really pray that you'll hear me right now. Gretchen, stay out of my jet with your puppet show, Absalom puppet. (laughs) Oh, the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and lift his countenance on you and give you peace, whatever. I love you. Bye. We hope today's message has been a blessing to you. And if it has, please visit our website at drcraigjohnson.org. There you can find additional messages of encouragement. 
And if our ministry has been a blessing to you, please consider us in your ministry giving, as we depend solely on the financial assistance of our listeners like yourself. Also, please feel free to send any personal prayer requests. You can find us online at drcraigjohnson.org. God bless you.